I've been thinking, do you think Wood has an image problem? Oh, there's not been a tabloid scandal, has there? No, no, nothing untoward. I just mean, do you think people sometimes get the wrong idea about it? Like, what do you think people think of when they imagine making objects and furniture out of wood? Okay, I think I see where you're going with this. I suppose people's first thoughts go towards fairly traditional processes. Carving, whittling, wood turning. It's all a bit little house on the prairie. Lovely in its own right, but not what you'd call cutting edge. Right. It's not like you hear wood and your mind immediately leaps to scientists in lab coats creating futuristic materials. Or high-tech factories full of whirring machines and bleeping robots. Sure, it's a bit more the Flintstones than the Jetsons. If you talk about making with wood, people's minds tend to drift to craft rather than contemporary design. And I think that's a problem, because here we are with this podcast, Words on Wood, trying to talk about all the exciting things going on with wood and design, but we've got this backdrop of a whole load of people thinking it's a super traditional material. (laughs) I'm Ollie Stratford, by the way. Sorry, I jumped the gun back there. I'm India Block. (laughs) It's no problem. Your blood was up. We've all been there. One minute you're saying hello, the next you're lamenting dovetail joints. I have to say, I'm pretty het up about this. Well, do you want some good news? Absolutely. I've been doing some research. When I found out we were doing this episode, I wanted to track down some contemporary designers who were working with wood, but doing so in ways that could challenge some of those preconceptions people have about the material. Because, actually, there are people out there creating some amazing things with it at the moment. So what kind of things are we talking about here? I think you're going to like it. We've got designers working with the latest digital fabrication techniques, designers 3D printing with wood, and even a designer who's breaking trees down to a molecular level so they can create a plastic substitute. Now this is the kind of thing I want to hear about. People pushing the material to its limits and getting some new results. Where are we starting? I like the sound of that molecular business. How underwhelmed would you be if I told you we're kicking off with a wooden chair? I swear I will walk off this podcast. (laughs) Just trust me and stick with it. Because there are wooden chairs and then there are wooden chairs. And this is one that broke a huge amount of ground back in 2011. It's one of those projects that people in the design world still remember and which is already in museum collections around the world. And uh, I'd always been nervous about chairs because um, there's just so many good designers out there. That voice you just heard is Sam Hecht, one half of the London-based studio Industrial Facility, which he runs with his partner Kim Collin. They're a real giant of the design world, one of the very best studios working today, and their work is always incredibly well-researched and immaculately refined. They've done a lot of work for Muji, as well as any number of absolutely fantastic projects surrounding consumer electronics. But until 2011, they'd never done a chair. And more power to them, because we all know the reputation of chairs in design. They're ten a penny, and it's kind of become a joke. The design world knows we don't need any more, but we still keep producing them. Right, which is exactly the issue Sam was grappling with. But he has an interesting take on why that is. I think one has to put a little bit into the context of what a chair is and what it means to a designer. Really, what it is, is it is, it is, it is a canvas that is painted and, um, and 
it's, it's different to everything else. It is a way of expressing um, uh, uh, an attitude. It's about expressing a character, a method, a technique, and everything is encapsulated into an object which is allowing the body to sit down, generally, anyway, and, and, and be consumed by this product. Another way of putting that might be that a chair to a designer is sort of what Hamlet is to a lot of actors. It's that project which lets you show what you're all about. Really, I mean, we're going back, you know, 10 years ago or more. Um, you know, everything was actually plastic. It was all about new advanced materials, carbon fibre and these sorts of things. So Sam and Kim were coming to this project at a time when wooden chairs weren't popular, or rather they were popular, but everyone thought they already knew what they were about. Right. Mid-century Scandinavian, lovely things, but not exactly anything to blow your mind. Exactly. But Industrial Facility had been approached by an interesting Italian design brand called Mattiazzi, and I suppose that had piqued their interest. Mattiazzi had made its name as a wood workshop for other brands and was known for its expertise with the material and the quality of its production. But it wasn't until the 2000s that it decided to start producing designs of its own. And I think it was, uh, it was when we visited the factory of Mattiazzi, um, we could see something that was really, really fundamentally different to my idea of what a chair is and how it's, a wooden chair is produced. Um, it was... Um, uh, it was produced in a factory that had this uh, really quite um, quite beautiful, almost symphony of techniques that were bound together and brought together. So what was it that Sam found there? What changed his mind about wooden chairs? Well, it was really the combination of two things. One, Mattiazzi had amazing artisans and handcraft techniques, which are always thrilling for a designer. But they also had some new technology – an 8-axis CNC machine. Now, I know a little about these machines. They're basically a robot that lets you very, very precisely mill wood. And the more axes you have, the greater level of flexibility and precision. And for the avoidance of doubt, 8 is a lot of axes. Precisely. So when Sam went to Mattiazzi, he became interested in this way of being able to industrially produce incredibly precise, elegant shapes that would have only previously been achievable with a huge amount of craft. And when Industrial Facility put that together with Mattiazzi's craft techniques, they came up with something really quite special, which is the Branca chair. The first thing the name Branca makes me think of is branches on a tree. Any connection? It's exactly that. So it's a chair with a very slender, sinuous backrest and rear legs, which are milled from one piece of wood by the machine. Mattiazzi's craftspeople are then able to connect up all of Branca's various milled elements, finish them by hand, and check everything fits together. It all looks very organic and flowing, a bit like the branches on a tree. So this fusion between the, the craftsman, the robot, and the machine um, was something that was very enlightening to me. And I realized that if we were able to um, produce a chair that, that respects those techniques, it doesn't demean the craftsman um, who was heavily involved. It doesn't demean the intelligence of the operator of the CNC, which actually is very important. I mean, he's a form of craftsman himself. And it doesn't demean the, the workers who are 
um, having to feed the wood into the machine, the, the machines as well on a regular basis. Now, that's really interesting. So Sam doesn't explicitly contrast craft and tradition with technology. For him, they're two sides of the same coin, and operating these new processes and machines is, in itself, a form of craft. I think that's a good point for people to remember, particularly in the case of wood, because it's important that a material tradition doesn't become static. It's a living thing, and it can feed into and inform some of the new science and processes that we're now seeing. That's certainly how Sam sees Branca. It's an incredibly high-tech chair if you want to get down to it, but the technology behind it is anchored to quite a familiar aim. But I think the magic about Branca was that it suddenly, you know, people looked at it twice. It's like, oh, it's a wooden chair. So you've reminded people of just how really incredible wood as a material is and what you can do with it. But at saying that, it's very important that what we wanted to create with Brunker was that was that it could live in it could live in a home or a, or any environment really. There is, shall we say, high technology involved very much, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily a visual commodity in the end result. It does look like a very elegant wooden chair, um, very thin, very. Um, um, it feels good in the hand, feels good with the body, um, all those lovely things. And that's really the, that, that's really the, um, uh, the essence of it, the result. But how, it, how it's achieved is it's achieved in a rather unique way. And then when you start to discover it more, um, uh, it, uh, uh, you start to realise there's things that are going on there which are... are quite unusual um, in how joints are meeting and these sorts of things. So I'm sold on robotic interventions that can achieve things with wood that human hands can only dream of. But you can combine cutting edge technology with almost any material and do something new. Are there ways of using wood that really push the proverbial boat out when it comes to material science? Don't worry, I haven't kept you here under false pretenses. I promised you lab coats and bleeps, and I shall deliver lab coats and bleeps. So after Sam, I reached out to the Swiss designer Yves Bahar, founder of industrial design brand Fuse Project. Isn't he best known for his high-tech design? You know, robotic furniture, smart home devices and 3D printed housing projects. I'm surprised to hear that he's working with wood. Yeah, as a designer, more than anyone he's associated with Silicon Valley. But you've actually mentioned already what he's up to. So Eva's been 3D printing things out of wood. So we worked with Desktop Metal, which is a 3D printing company um, for years. Uh, we, we designed a, a whole suite of products that allows people to 3D print metals, um, which uh, really uh, accelerates uh, the production of tooling, the production of uh, parts, whether the test parts or production parts. And they recently acquired Forest, which is a new company that um, uses a really first-of-its-kind 3D printing system that takes wood waste um, and uh, repurposes it um, into new parts that are um, just as good as uh, new wood. The only difference is that we can do completely unique forms and shapes since it's 3D printed and not cut away from, uh, from, from a tree. Okay, back up. How do you 3D print something that doesn't have a liquid form? 
You're not wrong. Wood is definitely not the material you think of when you hear that something is being printed out by a robot. Actually, Eve was surprised too when he first found out about it. My first impression was that uh, it seemed almost impossible um, because wood, you don't think of wood as a material you can form, you can inject um, or you can 3D print. Um, and then I was really pleasantly surprised about the fact that the material that's being used is essentially a material that's thrown away. It's cellulose dust and lignin waste, which um, all come from the paper industry and the wood industry. Ah, so it's like they've invented a giant robotic wasp. <laughs> okay, uh, now you've lost me. What have wasps got to do with this? So when wasps aren't bothering your picnic, they're busy flying around, chewing up bits of wood to mix with saliva, and then they glue it onto their nests. So this machine uses bits of wood dust and sticks them back together, just like a swarm of design-minded wasps. Well, yes, except instead of gnawing on your best garden furniture, Forrest uses up waste from the timber industry. It's nice that this is a high-tech solution, for using a material we already have lying around going to waste. So much of industrial design is extractive. This is a very satisfying alternative. And that's not the only thing that makes it sustainable as a process. 3D printing has a lot of buzz, to go back to the wasps, around it because you can make all kinds of things from metal or plastic or concrete with just the right computer file and technology. So, you know, with 3D printing, you can start to make things on demand as they're needed. You don't have to create large productions that end up sitting in a warehouse until they're sold. But you can also do it locally, which means uh, less shipping, less, um, you know, less um, uh, transport um, and, and use of diesel fuel, etc. And so, you know, to me, 3D printing has gone over the last 25 years from a novelty, something that people like to play with and explore and experiment with, to something that, you know, could really make additive technology the manufacturing process of the future and, and possibly bring um, manufacturing back to some of, you know, the places where it has almost disappeared from, like the United States or, or Western Europe. Okay, I'm 100% sold on this as a concept that's useful and good for the planet. But what does it look like? Wood is so beautiful because of all the lovely variations in colour and grain you get. And a wasp's nest is beautiful with all the striations as it builds up over time. Can 3D printing wood keep that organic quality? Or does it end up looking a bit uniform and soulless? This was something that the team at Forest put a lot of thought into. In fact, they've actually tinkered with their machine so that the powdered wood dust recreates the look and feel of the original material. Oh, it feels just like wood. Um, the, uh, we had some samples that were sent to us that were rough you know, uh, manufacturer samples from forest. And we're all surprised about the sort of weight and feel um, and how similar it is. And in a way that's logical because it's powdered wood that gets put back together. In terms of the grain and the color, really any grain and color can be achieved. Um, the funny story is the grain is printed really. It's, uh, it's, it's part of how the nozzles puts down the material. Um, and, you know, in terms of color uh, and finish, basically any, any, any oil or any finish or varnish that you use 
on a standard piece of wood, you can use on, um, on a forest 3D printed uh, piece. Now, I actually have access to a small 3D printer that I bought my dad for Christmas. You can make lots of little things with it and you can put them together, but you can't print something that's much bigger than, you know, something you can fit into the palm of your hand. So there must be limits to what Eves can do with Forest. Only just, actually. So Eve has already made some very nice vases and tabletop pieces for Forest in a collection called Vine, because the printed wood is like little vines and tendrils spooling out to create these groovy organic shapes. But now they want to go bigger. And with this new wood material, the limit is really just the size of the machine. Initially, the first machine that was presented, um, you can create smaller scale objects, so sort of tabletop objects, um, similar to what we have there um, with the Vine collection. Um, but they have another machine that um, should be ready by now, um, that was weeks away from being ready when, um, when we, were, we were working with them, um, which would allow you to do larger, um, larger designs. So, um, you know, I think from what I remember, as, as, uh, as, as big as a, a meter 60 or 80 long, uh, type of objects. So you can start to think about chairs, you know, tables, architectural uh, elements. Uh. Okay, this is really thrilling. Imagine if you could just go down to an Ikea and have a chair printed out for you on the spot. No more flat pack assembly nightmares. Yes, or if you had a beloved old chair that's totally knackered, if you could take it along to be chipped and pulped and turned into something new. The possibilities are endless. It's always a huge draw when, um, as a designer, you are able to show people uh, a direction for the future, a sort of first step towards um, something that we're, you know, just starting to understand uh, the potential of. And it's always exciting also to bring a sustainable, you know, solution and an ecosystem that will allow designers and manufacturers to not only divert waste from our landfills and our waterways, but also upcycle the wood into uh, home goods, furniture, uh, as well as architectural elements. So, you know, now people can, uh, you know, people like the longevity and the durability of wood. Um, and I think um, the ability to, to get that quality that we look for in wood but in a, in a way that is derived from a, from a, from a waste um, is, um, is something that once I think people understand it, um, they will get very, very excited about it. I'm already very excited, but I want to rein myself in here. There are just some things wood simply can't do. And isn't that one of the problems of plastic? It's just so tempting because it's useful and... Okay, so don't cancel me here. It's so pretty and shiny. <laughs> well, given that your words on woods resident magpie, that doesn't surprise me. But you're right. Even if we could 3D print everything out of wood, it would get a bit samey. But one researcher has been doing some rather whizzy experiments to make something totally unexpected out of wood. Sequins. You spoke to Alyssa Brunato, didn't you? <laughs> the one and only. I love this project. I can't believe she made glittery things out of bits of tree. For listeners who aren't already total fangirls, Alyssa calls herself a material explorer, which is a great way of explaining her research, which pushes the boundaries of what you can do with a material. 
but before she was in that material science sphere, she had a whole other career that opened her eyes to the dark side of sequins. And my previous career is actually uh, was a bit different. I had a ex- um, previous career in fashion, um, so I was working for ready-to-wear companies, luxury and haute couture, um, and this was uh, different fashion houses. Um, and while working in their design studios, um, I would also travel to production sites around the world, mainly in India, Italy and China. Um, and it was here that I started to gain sort of a rounded insight into the operations of the industry's fragmented supply chains. Um, and through this, I experienced how it is um, to see design choices, you know, also translate into global implications, environmental implications. So. Um, that's sort of what led me into the practice that I have now. I can see where this is going. I try and be good and I only buy biodegradable glitter beauty products, but my beloved sequin disco jumpsuit, it's, it's bad for the planet, isn't it? I'm afraid the shiny stuff isn't great, unfortunately, as Alyssa discovered when she was looking into embroidery processes. Well, one visit in particular, I was um, at the embroidery loom and, you know, there's just small particles of beads and sequins everywhere. I mean, they're tiny. It's like glitter. You put it in your hand and it just falls everywhere. And, you know, they would sweep them out onto the street and then just sort of leave them in the curb. And then they would get washed away into the, the, down the storm drains. And I would often think, you know, where do they go? All these small bits of plastic, like, you know, five or six years ago, we were just starting to hear about microplastic pollution. And I thought, I mean, they're pretty small. Where do, where do they go from there? And, you know, then you start looking around actually all the materials we're using in embroidery and it's plastic beads made from petroleum. The threads are made from plastic. Looking around and seeing that actually everything's made out of petroleum. It was a bit, a bit worrying to see that. But Alyssa's solution to this problem is pretty great. She decided to create a sequin alternative to these tiny plastic adornments, a bio-sequin. Alyssa's sequins are made out of cellulose that's derived from wood and then grown in a lab. Liquid cellulose is put in a mould using a pipette, so you can make all sorts of different shapes. And its crystalline makeup reflects and refracts light to create this beautiful iridescence. Yeah, iridescence is so beautiful when it turns up in nature, in a beetle's wings or a bird's feather or on the inside of a seashell. It makes sense that the sequin that started life as a tree would have a more mm, lively kind of beauty than one made from ancient carbon. I often um, have people say that they're more beautiful, (laughs) but in a way that they have an interesting um, natural quality to them. Um, and they they have imperfections um, and also colorations that are more vivid. And I think some some people have said that you know it looks a bit like a galaxy in a tiny in a tiny disc that looks like you're looking at the stars because it's just quite complex. You see color, but you also see this sort of golden shimmer that's that's um, coming through with the light. They do shimmer, but I um, they shimmer sometimes even more brightly than a, than a petroleum-based sequin. Um, and they just have, yeah, a more natural quality to them. So like with Eve's forest project, there's literally no downside to this, right? It's a little bit more complicated than that. So at the start of the project, the only cellulose they could use came from virgin wood which is wood that hasn't been anywhere or done anything since it came right off the tree. So at the time when I um, first had the project um, and started working on it, 
I was looking at um, wood from trees, um, but now I'm I am concerned that if we continue to to make cellulose products such as plastics from wood, we will then end up with you know a problem where we're needing so many trees again, cutting down so much, and there's deforestation um, to be able to make those products. So I'm very interested in um, recycling and being able to take um, you know things like paper that is a waste product and and use that rather than taking the virgin tree source of wood. Mm, you don't want to make a new problem when trying to solve the original one. Will I ever get my unproblematic sequins? Uh, have a little faith. They're working on it. Um, for example, there's a company called RenewCell that's actually taking discarded clothing and turning it back into its molecular cellulose form and making pulp again, um, wood pulp, just like you would for then having wood pulp for paper. There's, there's wood pulp for textiles. Um, so I think that that's really exciting to then also look that it doesn't have to come from the virgin tree, but it can come from the other products of cellulose that are made from that tree and we can keep those products in cycle. I guess these are the kind of tricky puzzles that get designers and scientists out of bed of a morning. Exactly. We think there's this big divide between a designer sitting in their studio dreaming up a beautiful and useful object to make and a scientist with the white coat and safety specs running precise tests in a lab. But Alyssa says the two disciplines are a perfect match for problems that call for lateral thinking. But I think between material scientists and creatives, I think we are all creative and driven problem solvers. There's just different mediums that we do that in. And their material scientists are interested as much in the process as the final result, as I think, you know, I myself as a designer is. I do have a question for you. Is she really working with wood? Because when you're getting into the molecular structure of a tree, you're a world away from the timber that Sam was working with, and even the sawdust that Eve was printing with. Yeah, it's a good question, and it's one that's followed Alyssa around a little. So the project actually won a Wood Award in 2019, which is a long-running UK programme that celebrates architecture and product design in wood. But I happened to be on that judging panel that year, and suffice to say, there was some debate as to whether the bioluminescent sequin actually qualified as wood. So, to put this to bed once and for all, I asked Alyssa. And? She says it's cellulose, not wood. To play devil's advocate, why are we focusing on it? We are, after all, a podcast about wood. Well, Alyssa has an answer to that too. I think of it as cellulose, but I think it's really important to note where cellulose comes from. And I think that having the the tangibility of of seeing a tree and actually saying but we need those trees to make cellulose um, or we need you know that algae to make cellulose i think that's really important because those trees are also there for another function on our planet right it is important we don't lose the origin of where these things come from and that's really the message I'd like people to take from this episode. When you look at a tree, there are a thousand and one different things you can do with that material. And new ones are being added all the time. Right. So, whether it's Sam exploring new kinds of industrial form making made possible by technology, Eve working with waste matter, or Alyssa experimenting with the cells at the very heart of the tree itself, there are all these new possibilities opening up. It's not just these familiar woodcrafts that we all know so well. Yeah, exactly. If you go back to the tree itself and think about what that actually makes possible, 
the horizon really opens up quite dramatically. And here, let's leave the last word to Alyssa, because she has a very nice way of capturing all of this. Um, Even if we are breaking wood down into lots of different parts to create lots of different products, it's still that tree that's there um, in front of us. So, um, you know, I'm not an expert on wood and cellulose and, you know, I'm I'm still a designer coming from a design background. Um, But I, I think it's incredible that the more you look into cellulose and what is being made from cellulose it's it's everywhere the general public sees wood as that um, beautiful material that that you can hand craft and it's got beautiful colorations and patterns and um, they're easily recognizable wood that tells a story um, and that you know comes from the tree i think that's really what what is celebrated with wood but Um, I think it's also really good to highlight that wood is regenerated into so many products that are part of our everyday lifestyle. That's the part that I think is really important too, looking at wood. This has been Words on Wood, a podcast about forestry and how it relates to design and architecture. It's been hosted by me, Ollie Stratford, and India Block. This episode was produced and edited by Evie Hall and supported by AHEC. Our next episode will be looking at traditional woodcraft techniques, but applied to new social and economic contexts.